Welcome back to Dear Old State. I am Matt Brown, Athletic College Football Editor, joined by the Athletic Penn State beat writer Audrey Snyder. And for the first time since 2012, Penn State is 0-2. And for the first time since 2016, Penn State is outside the AP poll in a poll that it's eligible for. Audrey, it was not exactly the night Penn State wanted on Saturday night, although the final score, 38-25, to also not surprising. <laughs> happy Monday, right? I think it's a, uh, whew, this is not how uh, Penn State fans expected to be starting the week and the season. Um, and we were both on the same page with this. And I think most sane people were on the same line of thinking. Um, we thought Penn State would lose to Ohio State. We thought there was just too much talent disparity between these programs. Um, of course, yeah, that happened. But what I didn't expect was that whatever it was that Penn state rolled out there in the first half as an offense. Um, they wanted to get quarter. Uh, they wanted to get Sean Clifford using his legs, get him moving around. And I do think Matt, I was listening to James Franklin's radio show last Thursday night. And afterwards, somebody had asked me like, Oh, did anything come of the radio show? I'm like, no, not really. I'm like, but there was one comment that I thought was particularly interesting. And that was Franklin saying that, you know, when Kirk Sharaka got here, one of the first things he wanted to do was make sure that Sean Clifford wasn't running the ball as much and wasn't taking all these hits because we saw him break down at the end of last season. And James Franklin said, but, you know, I just feel like that's such a part of Sean's game and that's what really gets him into the flow of the game. So I kind of filed that in the back of my mind. And then I started watching this game and I'm in the press box in an empty Beaver Stadium and I'm thinking, yeah, they are hell-bent on having Sean Clifford run the ball right now. And it just, it wasn't working. It, it was a complete disaster of a first half for Penn State. And I think Matt, that then becomes a theme because you look, Penn State gets gifted a 50-yard 50, 50 field goal opportunity that Jordan Stout hits, um, really bizarre sequence in the first half. But Penn State only had six points in the first half, three of which we can argue were gifted. Um, so seven points last week against Indiana you can't expect in the big 10 to start games like this and win. I mean, it was for me, the first half really sealed the deal for Penn state. Well, I mean, it starts the first, the first drive for Ohio state. I mean, the first, first play, play from the game is 60 yeah. yards and it's, yeah. you, it's the type of thing where you're like, if Michael Parsons were on the field, I don't know that that happens. Uh, and yeah, but he wasn't on the field. He's, He's not, not on the field. Yep. And this is what Penn state has. And his backup wasn't on the field either. Uh, Jesse Lucchetto, who, you know, is playing the spot, supposed to be playing the spot that Michael Parsons vacated, is, was out for the first half because of a targeting penalty last week. Um, so you start that way, Ohio State scores quick, and then Penn State comes back. And it's easy to question the decision to go for it, as Penn State did on its first possession, uh, fourth and two from, yeah. where was 45, it? 45, I believe. 45-yard line, and... I was fine with the decision. Um, I, I, I was as well. Yep. I, it's, and I don't even know if I – like they took a shot on third down to John Dobson. Dobson. And yeah. when they took that shot, my thinking was, well, they're probably doing that thinking they're going to go for it on fourth and short. But then you wonder, okay, why don't you just you know run the ball run twice the ball. and get two yards? Um, you know, the screen pass just got blown up. Ohio State was just Oof, all over Penn State. Their linebackers are nasty. And, you know, credit to Ohio State. is a really talented team. It's a smart team. So it just didn't work, and then Ohio State scored within you know under three minutes, and so that was basically the ball game. And it looked like it was gonna things could have gone a lot worse. You know, credit to Penn State for adjusting early in the second half. Um, you know, it's 
you don't want to call it a moral victory, but you know, Penn state did outscore Ohio state the rest of the game by one. Like it's not like they played terribly the rest of the way. There were some, they, they some goals. There were some, yeah. they didn't quit certainly. And you saw some, like there was enough that happened in the second half, which we'll get into the receiving core to, to like mm-hmm. have some positive thinking going ahead and, and with the schedule lightening up a little bit. But you know, I, I, I'm with you on running the ball with Clifford. It's just kind of bizarre. Like, I get that the offense is built around, you know, RPOs and zone read and, you know, trying to make good decisions and get the defense off balance and, and make decisions based on what the defense is giving you. But it's not and when really your quarterback, working. <laughs> and when your quarterback's getting hit left and right, well, and that's, uh, the thing is, that's the other part of it. It's not going to so, matter what you do. Trace McSorley was a better, like Sean Clifford can, you know, he rushed, rushed for over 100 yards last week. So it's not like he can't do damage with his feet. He, he is mobile. Trace McSorley was a better runner, but we saw the same thing in 2018. McSorley broke down over the course of that year, got hurt, yep. got banged up, and the offense kind of bogged down with that happening in 2018. And then we saw Clifford, it happened late last year, it happened against Ohio State, yep. got knocked out of the game, was banged up, then down the stretch. And now he's taken a lot of hits. You know, according to Sports Info Solutions on – so his, his – numbers on saturday he had 18 carries five yards that includes sacks according to sis on designed runs he was i believe 10 carries for 26 yards so it wasn't like it was working yeah <laughs> um it was not I, good <laughs> it, it's partly you know the off the offensive line got got beat flat out um even without okay. chase young on the other side the offensive line got beat but it's also you know, I sometimes wonder if Clifford's making the right reads and it's just a lot of keeping the ball and running up yes. the middle into nothing. And Matt, I, watching from up high in the press box, you know, you really get a better feel for like, okay, are guys open and these types of things. And I mean, it's just, you're watching it. And uh, there was a particular play in, I believe it was maybe the second drive. It must've been the second drive for Penn state. Um, I think it was second drive where they're moving the ball. And again, like we saw last week at Indiana, He's just locked in on Pat Fryerman. Yes. And they're down around the red zone and everybody's saying, uh, watch actually the broadcast on Sunday when I went back and watched the game. Um, you know, they, they make the comment, they're like, oh, you know, down here in the red zone, he's probably going to look to Pat Fryermuth. And he looked his way the entire time and it was really tight coverage, nothing there. But it's there was another like, play too where Fryermuth, yeah. I don't know, I don't remember where it was or I think it was yeah. like in the first half where they showed the, um, like sky cam view then behind center on a replay and like Fryermuth is running a route to the right, breaking toward the, the sideline. And he was covered the whole way and Clifford was locked onto him and park. And uh, by the time Clifford turned and looked away from him, he was about to get sacked. Parker Washington was streaking open across the yeah. middle. And that that's just, it's field vision. And it's also the field for pressure. And we see sometimes Clifford bails when, uh, there isn't actually pressure there. You know, yeah. he needs to hang in the pocket more. Sometimes it's locked on to, he's, you know, he's locked on to a receiver too long. And by the time he looks off of that receiver, the pressure's there. And we, so we, he takes more hits that way too. Um, so it's, it, it added up to a lot where it just made the first half, just there was no identity. You know, it was, they were, they were aggressive with that fourth down call, but you know, after they missed that deep shot, it was just like the offense, I don't know. It's like, buttoned up and just I mean seven pass attempts in the first half right. on Clifford like and I get it you didn't have the ball, the ball very often and you know you weren't moving the change it, it wasn't like this was a really good looking offense um, but I guess Matt my 
biggest issue with that offense was its inability to adjust. Um, you know, as we're talking here, it's like, all right, everybody that was watching that game could see that what they were doing wasn't working. So I guess, and part of this too, is what we mentioned before, like he's getting hit left and right. I don't know what, like, what can you do when that's happening? Right. And like, we've seen this script before. And at one point he got up and I leaned over to, well, kept my distance, but leaned to the left uh, in the press box and uh, said to the person sitting next to me, I said, wow, there's a number 14 with a grass stained Jersey. I feel like we've seen this show before. (laughs) Um, I mean, and, and that's exactly what it kind of felt like. It's like, I feel like now Sean Clifford needs to be like rebuilt. (laughs) That it's like, we're just, we're at this point where the offense has no idea what it is. You're handcuffed because of injuries. The offensive line, again, it's Ohio State. They're going to make a lot of people look silly. I understand that. Um, But the offensive line still has a ways to go, to grow and develop. But it's just, I think it has to be frustrating if, you know, for fans, certainly. But if you're James Franklin, you look across the field and the program that you consistently have to chase because they're in your division is just that much better um, that's gotta be tough to take. And then, you know, you look down the road here and Penn state, you know, the 2021 recruiting class, we've already talked, written a lot about it. Um, kind of the shortcomings there. It's a class that James Franklin said they haven't recruited up to the expectation in 2021. So for Penn state, like you, you've got to hope that somehow, you know, next year, Justin Fields will be gone. He's going to make a lot of money, be really, really good. Um, but you got to hope that maybe Ohio State gets hit with some kind of transition there. But you look at the way they've recruited and how they've recruited quarterbacks, and you just wonder, like, how are they ever going to catch them? Um, and I think, too, Matt, a bright spot here, which we I don't think we would have been saying this even a month ago, uh, the receiving core looked way better than I thought it was half. going to in the, in the yes, second half. When they decided to actually <laughs> throw the ball in the second half. Well, um, and they ran some crossing patterns. They got like they clearly made some adjustments and it just mm-hmm. looked like a different offense coming out of the gate. And then Jahan Dotson, who I would, you know, I was high on going into the year. I yeah. thought he looked, did some nice things, but I didn't expect that. That monster. Like, he looked like we, he was the number one wide receiver by default on Saturday. He looked like a number one wide receiver, you know capital letters like yeah made sean wade look silly and sean wade is the guy who's supposed to be a first round pick in the draft and dotson made two highlight reel catches in a row just you know he made that unbelievable catch that was like a helmet catch and then comes around and you know beats that with the one-handed catch which was just ridiculous and i think and that was part of this too matt where everybody you know and and the storylines um and understandably so is okay who's going to step up in that receiving core behind dotson but all along, it's also like, oh, hey, you know, Dotson has to be that number one guy. K.J. Hamler's gone. Um, K.J. Hamler with the game-winning touchdown for the Broncos on Sunday. So um, I just – I thought the Dotson stuff was really, really impressive. Um, they need that. Maybe Clifford now is going to start to trust some of these other options. Maybe he won't be locking in on Firemuth as much. Uh, Parker Washington, again, another nice game from the true freshman – Cam Sullivan Brown, I have no idea what's going on there. Uh, strange, he warmed up again. Um, looked fine to me during warmups for the second week in a row. Listed as on the depth chart as a starting receiver, does not play with the offense, but he's there. And I even at one point, Matt, I, I scanned the sidelines. I'm like, okay, did he, you know, for the game, is he still in uniform standing on the sideline? And he was. And then we didn't see him until Penn State went for an onside kick. 
And then he was out on that unit. So I have no idea what's going on there. I know a lot of fans have asked about it. We've asked James Franklin about it. Um, same thing, Keaton Ellis, no idea what's going on there, why we, why we aren't seeing him. Um, but yeah, for the offense, Matt, I think you got to try and build off of, okay, you're seeing progress in this receiving core, but you got to be able to get this run game going too. And hopefully against Maryland, um, things should change. You know, maybe it's just the fact that Penn state has had this really rough start to the season because they've played good, two good teams. Cause now we can call Indiana a good team. <laughs> um, you know, I think that's definitely a big part of it. So I'm sure it's not going to be as ugly as it looked Saturday, but yeah, this offense, a lot is going to have to change here. It's just, you know, the running game is an odd situation. And look, we know that really the top three guys from last year are now gone and with, with Journey Brown sideline, Noah Kane injured, and Ricky Slade. You think you know, Ricky Slade what wishes that he would have stayed? I don't know, yeah. I mean, Old Dominion's <laughs> well, not playing this fall. And... But they didn't give the ball to the running backs on, on, on Saturday. You know, mm-hmm. Devin Ford had eight carries. and We didn't see you know, Kevon Lee Kevon Lee, later on, yeah. neither, neither Kevon Lee nor Kaziah Holmes had a carry. And, look, I get that they're probably wary of putting the freshman in, uh, in because of pass protection – and, you know, they're playing from behind. So they ended up having, you know, they leaned heavily on the pass in the mm-hmm. second half, you know, kind of by necessity when you're trying to play catch up. So I can understand why the, why the freshmen weren't really in the game much, but still you would have liked to see more than eight carries for the running backs in the game as a whole, especially with Clifford, just, you know, time after time tucking it and running it into the, into a mass of bodies in the first half. And then, and they even yeah. ran into each other with, you know, trying yeah, to get the was, mesh point. That was, you know, the fact that that was like what the first play of the second half, it's like, Oh God, you know, where are things yeah. going to go from here? Then they responded with a really nice drive. So. You know, yeah. I mean a, that, <laughs> that opening drive of the second half and that we're all like, well, where was this, you know, like, I, and that to me, Matt is just, it reminded me of the 2016 group where we'd see these slow starts and they wouldn't look particularly yeah. great. Then they go in at the half, they'd regroup and, one of the themes that year they kept saying was, well, you know, we're a young team, so we really can't adjust on the fly. We have to sit everybody down at the half and really go over things before we come out. And that's what it reminded me of. And I understand you have so many new faces, new pieces to this offense, uh, younger guys playing key roles. And like, I think that is part of the issues when you're trying to adjust on the fly with this roster is like, you just can't do that. Um, But yeah, no doubt. I mean, they're, a couple positives to build off of, as we mentioned with that receiving core uh, being the, the biggest thing. And I thought it was interesting too. We saw a lot of Keandre Lambert Smith again, more so though this week. Yeah, Daniel George was not targeted in this game. The only no. three wide receivers who were targeted, John Dotson, eight catches on 12 targets, Parker Washington, four catches on four targets, uh, Fryermuth three on six targets, Keandre Lambert Smith, two catches on three targets. And Devin Ford was targeted twice out of catch. That's it. So only three wide receivers had a target. Uh, interesting. It's, it's, we, I don't want to say there's clarity at receiver because we don't know what's going on with Cam Selvin Brown, <laughs> but the clearest almost feels like going freshmen, forward. Yeah. It's, it's Dotson and the two freshmen look like the guys and Parker Washington, you know, Kendra Lambert Smith has, has flashed a little bit. We haven't seen like him get heavily involved. Parker Washington, you know, even with only four targets, you can see why he is starting. And we saw that in the second half for sure on Saturday. Yeah, four catches, 73 yards, uh, long of 31 for Parker Washington. Uh, Also the kick returner. And I wanted to get into that a little bit for a second because 
And again, we, we, I don't know when we'll hear from Joe Lorig next. I don't know when we'll hear from any coordinators next. Um, Penn State, it's, you hear from one different assistant coach every Thursday, it rotates. So haven't seen the media list yet today. So I couldn't tell you, you know, who we're going to talk to this week. But for me, the special teams the last two weeks, uh, it was ugly against Indiana. But I would like to know, or I'd be curious to know why, you know, we saw Parker Washington back there and they're calling for fair catches. And to me, I mean, I understand you always see so many penalties and special teams, all that, but it certainly looked like that was part of the game plan. Um, or at least this is my interpretation of it, but I just thought it was weird that like, we're not seeing these guys return kicks. And I understand after last week, Lamont Wade taking the goal line, it was a disaster. I get it. Um, but when your philosophy for special teams has changed the game and you plaster this logo everywhere, um, it's kind of hard to do that. I think when you're not returning kicks and, if the, the approach is okay, you know, you want to start at the 25. Um, it seems like a conservative approach to me, which then doesn't align with going forward on fourth and two with the offense. I, it just felt very weird to me. I don't know. I, I would like, like I said, I would like to know. Um, we didn't get a chance to ask James Franklin about it. Um, it's these zooms are kind of, it's, it's a comedy of errors at times because sometimes they can hear you. You can hear the person next to you. It's, it, it is what it is. It's 2020. But to me, the, the special teams, the kicker turn was really bizarre. Uh, we will give a special team shout out for Jordan Stout for making that field goal after. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they missed the, they, the fans they, on one second. Well, it's two weeks in a row. They get this bizarre field goal at the end of the first half uh, after the fumble last week. And now this week, but Last week, Pinnegar clanks the 25-yarder with literally like the loudest missed field goal I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and then this time, they call the team back to the locker room. Ryan Day's going nuts, and Jordan Stout calmly drills a 50-yarder. So oh, Ryan Day was making losing his mind. I actually – I had my binoculars zeroed in on him, and it was like he was not happy at all. I mean, he was – The clock was definitely like slow to start, but if you're yeah. Justin Fields, like you also just got to like – well, When know, you're a team that – He was staring at – the clock but he still went down before it hit zero so i don't know <laughs> yeah and and you know what what while you made me think of when you're saying while well, the clock hit zero um delay game penalties for penn state uh, some bad some bad game management situations for sure in the, in the game and that is you know james franklin was asked about the field goal afterward and he's like you know i'm not going to complain about it he was like but it was definitely weird um <laughs> so like you know you, you really could say okay the offense most likely realistically only had three points. Uh, they were gifted that field goal opportunity um, and credit to them. They, you know, stout hit it, but I just, I don't understand how they can be this disorganized, this disheveled. Um, I, yeah. I get it. The off season has been weird. You have all these new moving parts, but James Franklin had said like, this is the stuff that eats at him a lot, you know, like as much as we want to talk about a lack of execution, all these are things, the game plan, whatever. Um, it's the simple stuff right now. And two delay game penalties for the offense baffling. It should, I mean, it should not be happening. And it's not like we're talking about you're playing in a hostile environment on the road. You know, you're in a mostly empty home stadium. Although they did estimate the crowd was like 1500, which is just totally random. But um you know, I just, it's inexcusable. And the defense, I mean, they had their own share of issues. And Franklin had mentioned the one time that coming out of that timeout, I believe it was right going into yeah. Ohio State's second touchdown. I mean, they were a disaster. And Franklin said, yeah, we had one player um, 
we were in our money package and, and he just didn't go on the field and that's unacceptable. And I mean, that's coming out of a timeout. I mean, that is quite frankly, Matt, that's impressive. Um, <laughs> you know, like what were you going over the timeout that you didn't have the personnel, right? I mean, that's stuff that they said they were going to hit on on Sunday that they had to get corrected. And James Franklin made the point and he said, you know, that really hasn't been much of an issue the past six years. But this is now the second week in a row where we've heard that same line because after Indiana, it was the turnovers, it was the penalties, which he's right. I mean, they haven't done that much in six years. But then this time it was, okay, the delay of game penalties, the disheveled personnel getting on and off the field. Um, hadn't done that much in six years, but again, they, they did it this week. So whew, plenty of things to clean up for that offense. But yeah, the delay of game stuff was – you got, and Clifford was asked about it and – you know, is it an issue with trying to get stuff in from Sharaka? And I'm sure things are going to take longer now. It's slower. You're still trying to make sure everybody's on the right page, but it shouldn't be happening operating that slow. If that's indeed the issue, which who the heck knows? Um, anything else, Matt, on this offense, or have we have we seen and heard enough for for once? I think we can shift gears to the defense a little bit. Um, look, first things first. Justin Fields is good. I'm sorry yeah. for the hot take. Um, but scorcher right there guy is number one in our Heisman watch on the athletic after playing only two games and deservedly. So I voted him number one. I voted him one as well. I mean, you look at what he's done in two games, you know, he he went against Nebraska. He was 20 of 21, 276 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions against Penn state, 28 of 34, 318 yards, four touchdowns. You know, he has great receivers, you know, uh, the one touchdown to Chris Olave, Joey Porter jr. Could not have covered better. Yeah, and he's he, Alave just made the play. You know, we saw it worked both ways. You know, John Dotson did some silly things as well for Penn State, um, but you know, this is just a really talented Ohio State team. Justin Fields has just made you know the, the one play where he's like he fell down but got up and threw it and completed a pass with with an offender in his face. Just you know, there's clear separation at quarterback here. We're talking about a guy who's going to compete with Trevor Lawrence to be the number one pick in the draft you know, guy who could win the Heisman trophy. And, you know, obviously it's, we don't have to mention that he was once committed to Penn state. Everybody knows that. Wow, man. Um, I thought we were moving on from Hey, that. look, the positive thing, like what I think in the first half when things were looked like they were going to get out of hand is like, Oh, yeah. you know, the icing on the cake is going to be Julian Fleming scoring a touchdown in like the fourth quarter. Right. I was didn't actually play. Yeah. So. yeah. I was waiting for it though. Toward the end of the game. I, uh, I was zeroed in actually during warmups, I watched fields warm up quite a bit. Um, cause it's just a lot of fun to watch him throw a ball. I mean, he just freaking airs that thing out, makes it look so easy. And I was watching him at one point as they were going through drills, throw to Julian Fleming. Um, and that's, I took a photo and sent it to Ohio state beat writer, Bill Landis that I was on Fleming watch, but yeah, I mean, that would have been, <laughs> that would have been, uh, adding some, uh, insult to a not so good night for Penn state there. Um, I don't know if Ryan day then would have tried to call James Franklin to apologize for that, but um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was, I guess the only thing where it could have, could have gone, you know, the other way to really make it look like who this is really embarrassing to come back with Pennsylvania's top player as kind of the icing on the cake, but yeah, fields is just incredible. Um, I mean, the way he moves around, Matt, I, you just, you love to watch a quarterback. I do at least love to watch a quarterback like that. I mean, even when it looked like there were times where at one point he rolled out and it looked like, Oh yeah, this play is like going to be a disaster. He's going to throw it away. And there's a completion. Uh, Chris Olave is a hell of a receiver. And you mentioned Joey Porter jr. And for two weeks in a row, Matt, 
He's again, Porter, a bright spot. I gave up some catches, but still looks like it's yeah, real deal for sure. I mean, for a a redshirt freshman who looked to be buried on the depth chart this off season to now being the guy. And of course you saw as soon as Porter came out of the field or came off the field, he was hurt for a a couple plays. Uh, Marquise Wilson came in and that's exactly where Justin Fields went. Um, I believe that was also, yeah, that was to Olave again uh, for a touchdown, but yeah, the, the, the first one where Porter was on him, the touchdown, I mean, like you said, he couldn't have done anything better. I mean, it's, Porter's there in tight Sometimes coverage. you just get beat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes the other guys, they're on scholarship too, and they're going to make some really good plays. And it's going to be such an important learning experience uh, for Joey Porter Jr. to have these game reps. But Matt, and I wrote about this in a, my Monday piece that's up on The Athletic, my takeaways. I, as much as I want to say, and I will say, this is important for Porter and his development in these game reps. Um, it begs the question, what in the world's going on with Keaton Ellis? Um is he hurt? I don't know. He's warmed up. Um, why is he not playing? We used to even see him on a lot on special teams. We're not seeing him there. Um, I have no idea. I mean, I don't know if it's a matter of everyone else has gotten so much better than he has or it's hard to he's banged I mean, up. I mean, it's, don't, they don't talk about issues. Like, they do themselves the no favors we, we just, with it. Yeah, we, we don't know. And it's so, and I know because people keep asking it and they keep, you know, sending me messages and Hey, where's Keaton Ellis? Can you ask him where Keaton Ellis is? And we've tried. I asked last Wednesday about Ellis and his development after practice and, you know, James Franklin, they're still very high on him, but it's just, it's interesting when you see them substitute when Porter comes out and it's like, okay, Marquise Wilson comes in. So not, not necessarily surprising. Wilson could easily win the starting job too. Like, you know, right. He, but you know, he, He's yeah, I mean he's listed as Castro Fields backup where it's either Ellis or Daquan Hardy. But again, I burned the depth chart. It means nothing after week one, which has kind of always been my stance on it. But yeah, I just I don't know. To me, it's interesting. I thought I, I just don't know what's going on there. Um, if anything, maybe he's banged up. Who knows? But yeah, Joey Porter is doing a really nice job. But we're also seeing a fair amount of Daquan Hardy in there um and some of their sub packages, which again this is when people wonder, well, what's going on that we're seeing, you know, Wilson, we're seeing a ton of Joey Porter. Um, we're seeing Hardy and you're not seeing Keaton Ellis. Um, I don't know, but trust that we're, we're asking around about it. We're looking into it, but yeah, Joey Porter is definitely a bright spot. Um, I do think Brandon Smith, after a very, very quiet, no tackle performance to open the season, um, he walloped Justin Fields at the end of the game. Uh, that was that, really one of two sacks that Penn state had Antonio Shelton had the other one earlier on um, bright moment from Brandon Smith, but he also had a personal foul that was costly earlier on in the game learning moments there, but Matt, that linebacking core without Jesse Lucetta in the first half. Definite improvement in the second Ooh. half for sure. Yeah, that was but again. Hey, we're talking about like before the year, what, what do we think? It would be Michael Parsons, Brandon Smith, and then, you know, Ellis Brooks, Brooks and Jesse Lucetta kind of, you know, and now it's okay. Lucetta starting for Parsons, but then you're down him. So you're down, you know, number one, you're down the best linebacker in the country who you thought you were going to have until August. And then you're down a guy who, you know, looks like he could be, you know, a really good player this year. And they just weren't quite ready. And for, you know, they were out of position and got beat on that first play. And yeah, certainly, you know, the positive thing is you look at, okay, Jesse Lucetta looked pretty damn good in the second half. And do you think he's yeah. going to be a really good player? So hopefully no more targeting penalties and, and you know, watching him, core is going to be, you know, continue to get better. I think here. Yeah. And I think we're going to see them every week, you know, get better. And I think 
Lance Dixon, I mean, there's still a ways to go for him. But And like you said, I mean, this is, hey, you're getting thrust in there, you know, against Ohio State, making your first collegiate start. Um, that's not easy. You know, that's making your first collegiate start, I imagine, can't be easy, but let alone doing it against Ohio State. Um, but I do think, you know, Smith took the step forward. But I guess then we could look at the front and say, okay, Jason Oway after, you know, a ridiculous amount of pressure the first week, the pass rush, where was it? Right. Here, like, here, are, the, here are the numbers to go beyond the sacks. They had two yeah. sacks, but which was Shelton and, and, and Smith. Um, according to sports info solutions last week, Penn state had 21 total pressures, uh, you know, didn't necessarily get Penix to the ground, but got after him, made him uncomfortable. OA apparently, according to SIS, had 12 pressures last week, which is ridiculous. Can't expect that every week. He was just, you know, constantly at least making Penix uncomfortable. This week, Penn State was credited with nine total pressures, according to SIS. And I believe uh, none of those were were OA. So the defensive ends were pretty quiet in this one. Um, No sacks by the defensive ends. So, you know, again, they're playing a really good offensive line. But if you're going to beat Ohio State, you got to get after Justin Fields, make him uncomfortable, try to force a mistake. And, and for the most part, that did not happen. And that uh, pass rush was my key to the game of, you know, hey, if, they, if they're going to have a shot, this is what they got to do. Um, and we did see P.J. Mustafer early on, um, one of the first plays of the game. He was coming pretty hard on Fields. But other than that, I mean, Shelton flashed a little bit, but – there just wasn't wasn't much there. Um, the only players who had more than one pressure, according to SIS, were Shakatoni at three and Shelton had two. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I guess the surprise, again, isn't that Justin Fields and Ohio State racked up a ton of yards because that's what they're going to do. But this defense right now, um, and I, I'll even go back to letting Indiana march down the field for that you know game-tying drive last week, where where's the game changers on that defense right like who's the person or people who you can say you know what yeah this thing we gotta we gotta have a takeaway something has to happen um we saw it last year with Lamont Wade against Ohio State we were also told all offseason led to believe that this was going to be the best Penn State secondary in a very very long time um I'm not seeing it issues at safety still you know Lamont, yeah. Wade, Lamont Wade steps up and makes some big plays sometimes but also can be a liability in coverage and, you know, Ken will go to SIS. Lamont Wade gave up five completions on six targets, 47 yards on Saturday, uh, according to SIS. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's probably a, one of the more common places where fans voice criticism is, is pass coverage of Wade. And I think some of it's justified. Like, you know, we, we yeah. see you know, the safeties are not consistent in coverage and can be attacked. And I, I think we did see that a little bit again on Saturday. Yeah, and I mean Brisker. And again, it's 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 early in the season. Uh, lots going to change from from here on out. But you know, Brisker is supposed to be this ball hawk. We were hearing, you know, he's gonna he's gonna be the guy to make these game changing plays, and we're just not seeing a lot uh, from the safeties right now. And we're also, and I get it too, if the pass rush isn't there. You know, sometimes these guys might be getting hung out to dry. But it's just so much for me. The surprise is is the defense, and that I thought they would look better than they have. And I get it. Hey, every year, you know, you, you, you circle it, you say, Oh, you're going to have Michael Parsons. He's going to be a junior. Hey, he's not here. We get it. Um, but somebody has to step up and make a play. And we just haven't seen that. 
um, through two games. I mean, well, we thought we saw it with Shaka Tony <laughs> at the end of that Indiana game uh, and those couple sacks there, but turns out that wasn't the case. And so I just, I want to see moving forward. Um, what can this defense do? Because I believe it was at 529 yards of total offense for Ohio state. Uh, it was the, I believe fifth most under 526, 526. And, uh... Uh, fifth most under uh, James Franklin at Penn State. So, I mean, those are those are some gaudy numbers that. Yep. Third a, downs. Third downs. I think was what's the big bad. one. I mean, they gave up ten of ten of eighteen. Uh, Penn State's offense was three of nine on third down. Ohio State was ten of eighteen, and that that you know we saw that be a problem at times last year. You know, they would give up third and longs last year, and uh, third down defense. You know, not not a standout part of the defense, at least so far this year, Um, couldn't get off the field. And as Ohio state extended some drives and again, Justin Fields, ridiculously good credit there, but uh, just, you know, that's where you need the pass rush to show up and they they just did not generate enough of a pass rush and uh, you know, struggled to contain some, some really good skill talent that Ohio state has as well. Yeah. And I will say there was a, one of the first plays of the game, um, Lance Dixon was punching at the ball and going forward and the ball did come out and it's like, okay, you know, they're at least, maybe they're going to be start to create some takeaways because that was the other thing that was kind of so much of this year was, okay, you know, this is going to be the year that the secondary gets their hands on a lot of balls and Penn state's going to get a lot of takeaways, all these things Um, through two games. We're we're not seeing that, but again, take in mind the opponent, all those types of things. Um, I just, you know, that, that divide now, Matt, well, first of all, who knows what the Big Ten East looks like right now? I know uh, Bill Landis and I will be talking about it later today for our Tuesday uh, podcast up on The Athletic, the big football show. And, I mean, the East is just – I mean, it, it's interesting. It's, it's, you know, we thought Michigan – Interesting is a good word. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Well, the the title fire. race probably will not be interesting. The rest of the division will be interesting. Yeah, that championship week. I, you could pencil a lot of different scenarios right now and – I think that's where I did have a chance. I guess we'll transition on to, uh, to Maryland now. Uh, comes to Beaver Stadium, 3.30 p.m. Saturday. So three games, no noon, noon kicks yet for the Nittany Lions, um, which really just only matters to me. But watching Maryland Friday night, um, Minnesota looks – we thought they looked bad week one. It got worse. Their defense is a disaster. Absolutely yeah. disaster. Um, I'm guessing, Matt, were you watching that game Friday night too? Uh, good, good, good chunk of it. Okay. Big game for, you know, name that people obviously will recognize Talia Tangavaloa, the younger brother and uh, of Tua wasn't as big of a recruit, uh, transferred from Alabama and ended up having a really, 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 really good game after a, a rough game against Northwestern. They got, so Maryland got blown out 43 to three by Northwestern the first game which is kind of ridiculous considering where Northwestern's offense was last year. Yeah. And then they come back winning overtime is a really dramatic game. Um, you know, they were up early then they blew a lead. They, they went in overtime on a uh, missed extra point by Minnesota. It was just kind of a <laughs> wild game. Uh, Talia Tagovailoa had, he went what? Um, Sorry, I lost it here. No, no, no. He, I mean, he was watching him though. I, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you're seeing a young quarterback trying to figure out, you know, where he fits, how he's going to lead this offense. Um, and for Maryland to storm back the way that they did, I think everybody, Penn State's kind of like, all right, you know, you're going to get Maryland. It's, it's a feel good game, a game that, you know, you should win, should get into. But then Maryland's now got some momentum and they're hot, you know, so well, that's, 
You got to account for it. Yeah, so do you get that let's, number let's back? Let's compare these. Against Northwestern, Maryland got outgained 537 to 207. Talia Tungabaloa was 14 of 25 for 94 yards with three interceptions. So he's going to win many games well, like that. That's uh, And they ran for 64 yards. Yeah. Against Minnesota, um, it was not that, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. Uh, Tungabaloa was... 26 of 35, 394 yards, three touchdowns. Jake Funk at running back, 21 carries, 216 yards, a touchdown. Uh, Tungabalo, eight carries, 64 yards, two touchdowns. So Maryland had four, 675 yards, 28 first downs, 45 points. How bad is the Minnesota defense is another question for another podcast, <laughs> but clearly, <laughs> clearly having some problems. So uh, which Maryland is Penn State going to get? I don't know. Um, for, you know, the questions we have about Penn State's defense, it is certainly far, 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 far better than Minnesota's only gave up 211 yards despite that late drive against Indiana. So, you know, serious history here is one of the most lopsided in college football. Penn State is 42 and one against Maryland all time. The only losses in 2014 and in 1961. The last three years have been 66 to three, 58 to three, 59 nothing. So, <laughs> history on Penn State. So, last night, last year, remember that Friday night game? Like, Maryland was all like, yeah, the, the, the students, yeah. And it was like a blackout, I think. Penn State played like a perfect game almost and just, you know, destroyed Maryland. So, I don't expect that on Saturday, but I still don't think, you know, Maryland has some weapons, uh, but. I think this is still a get right game for Penn state, especially given the status of Maryland's defense. And it has to be, I mean, for, for Penn state, you know, you're not, you're not measuring your success. You're not measuring your program against Maryland. Um, we saw the measurement this past week. We saw that there's still a ways to go. Uh, so for me, it's like, you got to get Sean Clifford going this week and you've got to figure out, what other weapons he feels comfortable getting the ball to what adjustments I would, I would love to see, and we'll never see, see this, but I would love to see like, what is Kirk Sharaka like in meetings this week? What's it like when he's breaking down a game with Sean Clifford um, making those corrections on a Sunday? Because to me, like everything it has to get started with, with Clifford. And yes, you should be able to run the ball against Maryland. You have to be able to run the ball against Maryland because if you can't run the ball against Maryland, you can't run the ball against anybody. Um, and so I think this is, you're going to have to see a heavy dose of Devin Ford. Um, but I just, it's in a weird way for this defense, this Penn state defense, um, you should be able to disguise some of your looks, confuse the, you know the quarterback here a little bit because of that inexperience level. But I, whew, maybe this is a game where you stuff the stat sheet and, and get some of these takeaways and some of these sacks. But yeah, I mean it's it's certainly with the fact that Maryland just staged a big comeback, um, they've got a little momentum. They're feeling pretty good. So what that means for a Penn state team that probably should be down in the dumps after an 0 two start, who knows? I mean, I think as much as I said last week, you're going to find a lot about Penn state after that 0 one start and how they respond. Um, when things get 0 two, this is where, you know, it can't be finger pointing it, you know, all these other things. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think Penn state is better than that, but I, I don't know, Matt. I, I think <laughs> there's a lot of things we still don't know about this team. 
I mean, I keep thinking back now to when we started doing this podcast preseason last year. And I think kind of a consensus opinion that we had was 2020 looked like it was, you know, the year everything was going to build toward. <laughs> and there were reasons for that. Boy, you was know, that wrong in so many the, levels. The 2018 recruiting class was the best recruiting class mm-hmm. Penn State has had. They, they capitalized on the, you know, the run to the Big Ten title in 2016, you know, had a really good year in 2017, could have been a playoff team, didn't came up short, but still won a major bowl, top 10 again. And they signed a, you know, a top 10 recruiting class in 2018 with three five stars. It's like, okay, 2020 is the year when, you know, Sean Clifford will be in his second year to start. He was a four-star recruit. 2018 recruiting class is like now the backbone of the team in going into 2020, you know, third year on campus. And, but you look at how much has changed since like the preseason last year, Justin Shorter, Ricky Slade, Journey Brown, Noah Kane, KJ Hamler, Micah Parsons. We would have anticipated all of those guys being a part of this team now, but KJ Hamler ended up going pro after a redshirt sophomore year. Micah Parsons, nobody could have predicted what would happen in 2020, and it's nobody's fault. It's just it's what happened. It's been a crazy year. Decided to opt out, can't blame him. Um, Journey Brown, who we didn't know was going to be a star in August of <laughs> last year, but not not available medically right now. Noah Kane was a four-star recruit, not available right now. And then it's Shorter and Ricky Slade, who when when they transferred, it's like, okay, this makes sense. You know, It's not really working out for either guy. But when we go back to the preseason of last year and we're talking about 2020 and what could be, we're talking about the potential of those guys. So you're looking at what they lost. It's not necessarily what Shorter and Slade were bringing to the table. It's the idea of what they should have been as five-star recruits. Penn State signed three five-star recruits in 2018. None of them are with this team right now. So, and then that recruiting class is supposed to be the backbone of maybe, you know, a great team in 2020, which is supposed to help ignite recruiting going forward and now we're seeing the team kind of it's 0 two the recruiting class is not what they want this year it's off to a good start for next year yeah 2022 going, like- but it's off to a great start but things just kind of have unraveled in a way that was not anticipated and penn state rec- has recruited pretty well but it doesn't recruit like ohio state or georgia or lsu or alabama clemson, or clemson where you can afford these types of things happening and you yeah. still have a backup plan Penn State's margin for error is not like those teams. And we're seeing that play out now because they've had attrition. They've had some five stars not hit. They've had a you know, five star who did hit as well as he imaginable, but then ended up opting out. And Penn State can still be a very good team this year. Uh, but you see the gap and the margin for error. And, and um, you know, they lose a game against Indiana that, again, 95% of the time, given the, the stats in that game, they should have won. It's just a really weird game where everything bounced against them. And then we see on Saturday where there's just a clear gap showing up with the way Ohio State's recruiting. And Ohio State lost a ton of guys to the NFL off of last year, but it's just they can reload. They just like reload, yeah. And the, the point you make about that uh, margin for error with your recruiting class is a great point because it's – and we you know I've been hearing a lot of it from, you know – Penn State fans and people on Twitter are saying, oh, Clifford's not the answer. And again, it goes back to, okay, if you think he's not the answer, what's your solution? Um, and, and I don't, there's no other solution in my mind right now in that room. There clearly isn't. Um, and, and that goes back to recruiting and developing players. And I mean, quarterbacks are such a different, different position um, because, you know, a lot of these guys, uh, they don't come to sit around for very long. But 
something to keep an eye on with this Maryland game. Um, Derek Davis Jr., the top player left on Penn State's board for 2021. Um, he's announcing his college choice uh, on Saturday, which I guess is, yeah, November 7th. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, the 247 crystal ball still projects Penn State. Um, I did not get that impression when I talked with him last week. Now, I, I've been wrong before, but, you know, to me, he was – he was at Ohio State the previous weekend. Um, he had hoped to still get to LSU and Georgia somehow, despite everything going on. But if you're Derek Davis Jr. and you turned on the TV to watch this game this past Saturday, I would think that there's one program that you're going to, and I would think it's not Penn State. Um, and we just talked about the secondary and how it hasn't, the safeties haven't looked particularly great. Um, you know, if you're the number two safety in the class, I don't think you would you would come here at this moment. But again, guys make choices for, for different reasons and fits. And, you know, and I had people say this to me over the weekend as well with Julian Fleming. Well, oh, he made a terrible choice because he didn't play at all. And OK, that's exactly that speaks to the gap and the divide between these two programs where Penn State starting Parker Washington as a freshman. And he looks good. It's this is nothing against Parker Washington but they're starting him out of necessity where, you know, Julian Fleming's path to the field was much more congested because you see the talent that they have. Um, if Chris Olave wouldn't have played, you would have most likely seen uh, much more. You would have definitely seen Fleming. Um, but to me, that's just the divide here. It's like, look at the quarterbacks that you have throwing to you. Um, if you're, if you're Julian Fleming, what do you want? To me, the, the choice is pretty clear when you look at it that way. Um, but yeah, so I mean, recruiting always gets magnified when it comes Penn state, Ohio state week. Uh, but for Penn state, the 2022 class uh, is looking a heck of a lot better than 2021, which is what fans definitely want to hear about. Um, I will actually have some recruiting stories this week. I've been out before Penn state season started and was checking in with some guys and Penn state uh, did have quite a few guys in town this past weekend. They were getting together uh, to watch the Penn state game downtown. So I know Landon Tangwell was in town uh, Caden Saunders was in town, but yeah, the Derek Davis decision um, will be interesting on Saturday and I will see Matt. I, I don't know, but I, that is kind of like a subplot now to this Maryland game. Like an extra prediction to make here. And it sounds like you're not predicting. <laughs> yeah, I, I am not. I, I, again, maybe, uh, maybe I totally misread it after our conversation, but that was, I, I mean, he spoke glowingly about Ohio state and about LSU and, yeah, I, I just I did not get that impression. Um, but recruiting is a crazy, crazy business. And it, it changes all the time. And this is what happens when, you know, you're banking on 16, 17 and 18 year olds to really <laughs> forecast the uh, the trajectory of your program. So it is what it is. But yeah, um, are you are you ready to make a pick, Matt, for this <laughs> this Maryland game? Is, is Are you convinced one way or the other yet? I mean, it, it's early in the week. It's a weird spot, like, in that if you look at, like, you know, okay, Penn State's 0-2, unranked in the polls now. But, like, Penn State is and, – and Maryland is coming off that win over Minnesota. Penn State is a 25-and-a-half-point favorite against Maryland. Now, history says that, yeah, that's about right. Uh, if you look back here, – here's another number for you. Since 1936 in, in the AP poll era, uh, I believe it's – three of Penn State's six most lopsided wins against like current FBS programs have come against Maryland. 
1993, they beat them by 63. 2017, they beat them by 63. Last year, beat them by 59. Um, Historically, that's kind of what happens. Point spread, it's just worth pointing out that like Vegas and like advanced stats still like Penn State. You know, you look at, as I mentioned, the the week one game, okay, it's a loss, but, you know, the, the stats don't, I don't want to say, you know, that's don't care about necessarily the result. It's, it's how the game happened. And most, most game, most times, if, if you ran that, if you ran that as a simulation 20 times, Penn State would have won that 19 times against Indiana. It's just weird yeah. things happened. If you look at ESPN's FPI, Penn State, despite being 0 and 2, is seventh. <laughs> Notre Dame 6 and 0 is sixth. Penn State 0 and 2 is seventh. Uh, One of these ESPN's, things is not like the other. <laughs> if you look at ESPN's SP, Penn State uh, is. Well, that, sorry, that isn't updated yet. They were eighth going into last week and probably didn't fall much after losing to Ohio State because Ohio State is considered uh, the number one team in the rating. So you look at some of the advanced numbers and Penn State is still, you know, looked favorably upon, which I think carries over to what like the point spreads are as well. So I we see certainly reasons for concern, the identity of the offense, you know, the injuries in the running game. The defense is down its best player and maybe the best player in the country. So there are reasons for concern, but we also saw in the second half, some of the reasons to, to be positive. The passing game looked better. Um, I, I think the receiving core is going to continue to improve. You know, I, they're not going to play a team with as much talent as Ohio state. Maryland certainly doesn't have that talent. I think the pass rush is still going to be a strength. So 25 and a half is a lot <laughs> of points, <laughs> but I'm going to go Penn state 40, uh, Maryland 20. I'm going to go with 20 point win. On Literally Matt, that is, that is my score. I just, as you were talking, <laughs> I wrote it down. I swear. I just <laughs> wrote it down and I was like, I'm ah, not playing this. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, ah, I don't know. Can they get the 40 that I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm looking at Maryland and I'm thinking, and I'm like, ah, so 40 literally just wrote this in my pink uh, G2 pilot pen uh, 40 to 20. So I, I, I just thought of mine off the top of my head. I was, I was talking too. So we're, we're both, we uh, we're both very locked in on this, uh, this get right game for Penn state. Um, and I, at this point, Matt, like this, I think is exactly who you want to see. I mean, maybe not Maryland coming off a win in terms of like momentum, but this is what you want right now because you got Nebraska after this. And then you got Iowa, then you got Michigan, uh, then Rutgers and Michigan State. So, I mean, just who knows? It's a weird year for so many reasons. Uh, but yeah, I do have Penn State winning 40 to 20. So that would bring the Nittany Lions to one and two. Um, and real quick, Matt, before I forget, I wanted to ask you about your ballot because we did see Penn State uh, yeah. fall out of the AP poll for the first time since they entered after upsetting Ohio State in 2016. I do think Penn State is still probably going to be a top 25 team. Mm-hmm. And if you look like I have Coastal Carolina 13th, Coastal Carolina has been great. <laughs> but if Penn State and Coastal Carolina played each other, I Penn State would probably win easily. It's just, it's the, you know, the polls are, I mentioned some of those advanced stats. They're not necessarily results-based. They're process-based, how you play. And they're predictive of, you know, how you've played from, from snap to snap and, and how things are going to go going forward. The poll isn't predictive and it's not, and it, and it is results-based. It's if you're Owen two, and you know, they Penn State got the benefit of the doubt for weeks and weeks and weeks, just kind of sticking in the top 10 despite not playing. And if you're Owen two, it's just it's hard to justify a ranking. You know, there's opportunities to get back. You know, if they beat Maryland, I still don't think that one and two is going to get them back in the rankings, but they're pretty close 
they're not far out. People are still voting for them. So I, I just couldn't really justify ranking a, a zero and two team, even if, you know, after again, a loss that was very, 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 very questionable by a matter of inches against Indiana. And then a loss to a team that I have ranked number two, you can make the argument that Penn state is still one of the 25 best teams. It's just in a results-based ballot. It's hard to include them. So uh, I, I do anticipate Penn State returning to my ballot at some point. It's just, it's going to take a little bit of, it's going to take some winning, <laughs> to put it simply. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the, um, that's going to be the thing. I mean, once, if they get this win that both of you and I are projecting on Saturday now, um, you know, then you'll see if they can start stacking wins from there, if they can get rolling. But for me, I just want to see like progress, you know, like I want to see how this offense looks different um next week and and i think that's kind of gonna have to be the starting basis because this is also a bizarre week in terms of players are off tuesday for the election um it's a mandated ncaa like it can't count towards your like your kara hours so um i'm imagining that we haven't heard from penn state yet on this but i would imagine that penn state is practicing today monday monday normally their off day um so that tuesday will be the off day so it's going to be a little bit different um, of a schedule for them this week, but getting back on the field as soon as they can after that one, um, I think is the best thing that can happen to Penn state. Well, you heard it here first and twice, 40 to 20. So when that <laughs> happens, you know, you can give us both credit. Um, yep. So that'll do it for the, this week's edition of dear old state. Audrey will of course be at Beaver stadium on Saturday with the Terrapins coming into town for a rivalry-ish game <laughs> to Eastern teams. Oh, jeez. <laughs> we, we don't, that's for another podcast. We can just yeah, we can, the term rivalry. <laughs> but uh, thank you for listening. Uh, please, of course, read Audrey's stories on the Athletic Penn State coverage throughout the week and the weekend, of course. And uh, yes, please subscribe. And if you love the like the podcast, love the podcast, please uh, rate and review us. We really appreciate the kind words from anybody out there. So uh, Thanks, Audrey. Thanks to everybody for listening to Dear Old State. We will be back next Monday after the Maryland game.